What's up, Lamb Fam? Welcome back to the Life After Miscarriage podcast, where we unapologetically chat the ins and outs of what life is actually like after miscarriage. I'm your host, Shelly Metling, and with four angel babies myself and one rainbow baby here on earth, I have created a platform for you guys to share your stories. So sit back, relax, get ready to relate, laugh, and cry as we get real on what life is actually like after miscarriage in the 21st century. Hello, everyone. We have a Caroline Hutchinson on today's episode. I am so excited to get to know a little bit more about her and her journey. Caroline, I am just going to toss it at you. Start wherever you'd like. Hi, Shelly. Thank you so much for having me on this podcast today and giving me the opportunity to share my story. I can't thank you enough for creating this platform. As you and your listeners know, going through infertility and pregnancy loss can be such a lonely feeling and I just remember the huge sense of relief I had when a friend told me about this podcast because it just felt like for the first time in months, I didn't feel so alone. So thank you so much for that. Um, And before I get started, I also wanted to thank all the women who have shared their stories on this podcast. Um, I was just blown away by your strength, honesty, and courage. And you not only inspired me to share my story, but also to keep fighting and not giving up on trying to have a baby. So thank you to all of you as well. So I guess I'll start from the beginning with how I met my husband. Um, Let me introduce him by name first. You're not confused to hear his name come up, but his name is Pem, P-E-M, which is short for Pemberton after his dad and grandfather. Um, It's a unique one. But Pem and I met in 2012 in DC where we both moved after college. Um, He randomly sang Sweet Caroline to me at a karaoke bar, and the rest is history. After four years of dating and moving to Richmond, Virginia, we got engaged in 2016 and married in 2017. We'd always known that we wanted kids. We're both one of two and very close with our siblings. After moving into our house in 2018, we decided we should probably have training wheels first before having a human child. So we decided to get a dog. Um, In February, 2019, we brought our two-year-old golden retriever Remy home and she's been the light of our lives ever since. And I can't imagine our life without her. She's been a true lifesaver, especially during our crazy journey to parenthood. Um, It's, It was a few months after getting Remy in early 2019 that I started thinking about the whole biological clock thing. At that point, I was 31. Pam had just turned 30, and we finally felt settled in our house and in our careers. So we felt like the timing was right at that point to start trying. Miscarriage wasn't something that I thought would happen to me, but the fear of not getting pregnant right away had definitely crossed my mind. So I just felt like we should start sooner rather than later in case it didn't happen for us right away. Um, I had been off of birth control for about six months by June of 19. At that point, we had really only been trying for a few months um, and I decided I should probably start tracking since my periods were a little irregular since going off the pill and I just wanted to make sure that A, I was actually ovulating and B, that we were having sex within the window. And I'd say our sex life was normal, you know, having sex a few times a week. Um, But the challenge was my husband travels regularly for work. So before COVID, he would be gone for three to five days at a time, like once a month or every other month. So if it's a week-long business trip and that's the week I'm ovulating, you know, we're out of luck. Um, So I really think that only happened like once or twice, but that was more of a reason why I wanted to track ovulation. So I started with the clear blue ovulation test strips while using the Ava bracelet. Um, It was probably overkill to use both, but I felt like the Ava bracelet was helpful to narrow down the window. So I wasn't testing for like 10 days at a time, which can get old and challenging very fast. Um, So people are on the fence and you have the, you know, the means to buy the Ava bracelet. I don't see the harm in it. It was definitely helpful just to have like one more tool to track. And I felt like for the most part, it was pretty accurate right away after like the first month of using it. Um, So after two months of trying in June and July of 19 with the Eva bracelet and ovulation tests, we got pregnant for the first time in August. Um, I took a pregnancy test first thing in the morning. 
uh, the day I was supposed to get my period and it was positive. I took two tests, you know, the digital one and then the one with the plus sign and both were positive and so pregnant. Um, Pam was downstairs working before leaving the house, which is something he normally does. And I just kind of popped in the office and was like, guess what? And he barely looked up from the computer before I just blurted out that I'm pregnant. Um, I'll never forget the look on his face. It was, you know, pure excitement, but then like pure like shock and terror kind of all rolled into one. He was just like, are you serious? Like, wait, really? Like, are you kidding? And I just kind of smiled. I was in complete shock as well and said, yes. Um, we both didn't really say anything for a few minutes. I went and made coffee, took a shower. And then when I came back downstairs, it kind of hit both of us, you know, what was happening. And we hugged and smiled and we're just, you know, beyond excited. So we both had to go to work that day. Um, I told Pam I would call the doctor and make an appointment when I got to the office. Um, I got to work and immediately called my OBGYN office. I work in marketing for the Children's Hospital of Richmond. That's part of the larger hospital system that includes the OBGYN office that I was going to. I hadn't been there yet since I started in this role because I had only been there for nine months. Um, but the lady on the phone confirmed the first day my last period, told me to be coming in two weeks and told me the doctor that I would be seeing. Um, so I got home that night after work and you know, we're both still beyond excited. We said that we weren't going to tell anyone because we knew anything could happen this early in the game and just wanted to get through that first appointment. Um, we got the positive at-home test the week before Labor Day at that point. Um, and we had plans to go to D.C. for the weekend to see friends. And most of them pretty much guessed I was pregnant because I wasn't drinking, especially during the holiday weekend, which is not like me. <laughs> So we just kind of let them draw their own conclusions. Um, our first appointment was Friday, September 13th. And thinking back on this day, we were completely naive and blind to everything, which I'm sure we all are going into this for the first time. I just remember feeling so confident going into it that everything was gonna be great. We're gonna see the heartbeat. We're gonna find out the due date. We can finally tell our parents and our friends, like it's all gonna be amazing. So we get to the office and the first thing the receptionist says after confirming my name and date of birth was congratulations. So right from the start, I'm feeling calm, relaxed, like no doubt in my mind. Um, when they take us back to the waiting or back to the exam room, I gave a urine sample and the nurse came back 10 minutes later and said, congratulations, you're definitely pregnant. And I'm just on cloud nine. Um, and we're just sitting there like anxiously awaiting the doctor. Um, she finally comes in for the vaginal ultrasound and Pam and I are both facing the screen and when she put the probe in, I immediately see a black round sack and the doctor is moving the probe around and starts asking me the dates of my last period and I told her the window and let her know that I was also tracking my ovulation, which was the last week of July. So by this appointment, I should be tracking at about six weeks and the doctor told us that I'd probably ovulated later in my cycle and then I'm really only five weeks along, maybe even earlier. So that's probably why we're not seeing the fetal pole yet or the heartbeat and that I should come back in two weeks and we'll be able to see the heartbeat by then. And knowing what I know now, that should have been an immediate red flag, but this being our first pregnancy and how calm the doctor was, I had zero indication that something was wrong. I remember we left pretty calmly. I remember being disappointed that we didn't hear the heartbeat or get the cute sonogram picture, but you know, we'll wait the two weeks and everything's going to be fine. Hey guys, sorry to interrupt today's episode, but I just wanted to pop in here and give a little shout out to Ava Fertility Tracker as we as a Lamb Fam are affiliated with Ava. So it is a way to support the show and support me as the host. A little bit about Ava is that it's clinically proven to identify your unique five-day fertile window as it's happening, letting you know when you're ready to conceive up to four days earlier than LH tests. And with 50% more precision than the calendar method. So go beyond ovulation, take control of your cycle, and make every fertile day count. So I will go ahead and I'll drop our affiliated link in the description of this episode if you yourself are looking to get your hands on an Ava fertility tracking bracelet. Now let's get back into today's episode. 
So two weeks later, we go back on Friday, September 27th. Um, at the last appointment, they told us just to go straight to ultrasound. And then after that, we'll have an appointment with our OBGYN who we saw the previous two weeks to go over the results. So they call us back to the for the ultrasound. And I hate to say this, but the sonogram tech looked like she was like 14, I swear. She looked like she was so young. Um, but she tells me to lay down and she's gonna do the ultrasound over my stomach and she starts moving the probe around. She's not really saying anything and it's like minutes are going by and you know, I asked if everything was okay and she's like, yeah, I just have to take a bunch of pictures and measurements for the doctor. I told her that I really had to go to the bathroom and you know, would that help to have an empty bladder? And she was like, sure, why not? We'll try that. Um, while you're doing that, I'm gonna go get the OBGYN resident on call. So she leaves the room, I went to the bathroom and I immediately start panicking. I was like, Pam, something's not right. There's not a heartbeat, something's definitely wrong. Um, Pam's trying to tell me to relax and let's just see what the doctor says when they come back. So I lay down in the dark room and this woman who I've never seen before just blows up in the exam room door, doesn't even like announce herself, introduce herself. And just blurts out like, yep, yeah, you're not pregnant. Were you guys expecting to hear that today? And it just felt like somebody like punched me in the stomach. Like I was just like, I had no idea what she was saying. Like, did she get the wrong room? Like, what is happening? I've never seen her before in my life. Like, where is our doctor? Like, what's happening? And I remember replying in kind of like this like snarky voice, but like I didn't care. I just said, no, we weren't expecting to hear that. This is our first pregnancy. They confirmed the pregnancy two weeks ago. They like it's likely I ovulated early and they couldn't see an embryo yet. And we should come back in two weeks. So here we are. Um and the woman like doesn't even say she's sorry, just kind of starts flipping through the pictures and clicking around on the screen and um, that the sonic, you know, the pictures that the sonogram tech took and she was like, yeah, this happens a lot. You're not pregnant. Okay. Do you all need a minute or do you want me to take you straight to your appointment? And we're just sitting there like, <laughs> you just told me I'm no longer pregnant and asked if I needed a minute. Like, what, what do you think? And I just remember being, I was so mad and sad at the same time with how she was like speaking to us, like here I'm trying to process everything, like nothing's making sense. I just like slowly got dressed, gathered my stuff, and I just wanted to get away from her as quickly as possible. Like how could you ask two people who have never experienced a pregnancy before if they were expecting to hear the news that they were no longer pregnant? Like I just felt like her tone and delivery, it was just <clears throat> so cold and robotic and she just I just felt like she was rushing us out of the room to get one of the other pregnant people that were in the waiting room in for their ultrasound so after we got our things the rude lady <laughs> ushered us out of the room and into the hallway that led to the OBGYN office and I immediately burst into tears like how could this possibly be happening um I thought we were going straight to the actual exam room to see our OBGYN, but that wasn't the case. I had to check in at the receptionist desk like I had done before. There's no communication, like no one calls or sends an email or a message to the other office like, hey, we just told this patient that they lost their baby, like just a heads up. Like there's nothing like that, which I just feel like just a simple phone call, just giving you a heads up, just any level of sensitivity or, you know, I'm not asking them to give me a hug, but just anything. Um, I remember they like asked my name and date of birth all over again and told us to have a seat in the waiting area. And I'm just like, are you kidding me? <laughs> like I just found out I lost a baby and I have to sit in a room surrounded by all these pregnant women to see my OBGYN to be told all over again that I'm not pregnant. So what seemed, I felt like it was like an hour, maybe it was like 30 or 40 minutes, but we finally get called back and the OBGYN that we saw for the first time two weeks ago confirmed, you know, with the vaginal ultrasound that there wasn't an embryo, there was just a gestational sac and that this was called a blighted ovum, which is a common cause of miscarriage. And I just remember sit like lying there, I was like completely numb. Um, the doctor starts rattling off my options which were to wait to see if I miscarry naturally, get a prescription for misoprostol, or I could have a DNC with local or general anesthesia. 
and my mind is just like swirling because I have no idea what any of those things mean. Those were not things that I was expecting here today. <laughs> so I just asked her like flat out, like, what would you recommend? Like if it were you, like, what do you recommend to get through this process as quickly as possible to get my body back to normal so we could start trying again? Um, she recommended a DNC with local anesthesia because she could perform the procedure herself in the office. There would be less recovery time in the hospital because I wasn't going all the way under and she could send um, a sample of the tissue that they collected for testing. So I took her advice and asked how quickly I could get the DNC done. This was Friday, September 27th of 19. So she said she could get me in that Monday, the September 30th, which was our second wedding anniversary. And I just wanted to get this over with as quickly as possible. My body felt pregnant. I was experiencing the symptoms and I just wanted it to all be over. So I asked him and he just was like, you know, I support whatever decision you make. Um, you know, I agree. I want to get through this and put this behind us. So we decided to go ahead and schedule the appointment for that Monday. Um, I immediately canceled our anniversary dinner reservation that we had planned. Um, and that weekend, we had already made plans to drive up to Baltimore, where my family's from, um, to pick up some bed frames that my mom was saving for us in her garage for our guest room. And we were kind of using that as an excuse to go up and surprise my parents and tell them the news that we were pregnant. We were just waiting to get through that appointment. And that Friday night before we drove up, I texted my mom, um, yeah, just letting her know that we're planning to come up still, but the purpose of the trip was actually to tell you that we were pregnant, but we just found out at the doctor that I'm not anymore. And I decided to text her because at that point, everything had fully set in, like after we left the appointment and I knew I wouldn't be able to get the words out over the phone without just like uncontrollable sobbing. Um, and I don't remember if she, I think she texted back and then left me a voicemail, but I just remember she was so sad for us and said we should stay put and take it easy. But I just, I just wanted a distraction and I wanted to be with family and be home for a day or two, um, just to kind of take my mind off things. So we ended up driving up there anyway, and it was just what I needed. Then we came back Sunday. Um, and then that Monday comes around and I texted my boss that morning, letting her know that we learned on Friday that, you know, I was having a miscarriage and that I had to schedule a DNC for this afternoon. I'd like to come in for, we have a Monday team meeting and it's kind of like where she shares important updates and everyone kind of goes around and says what they're working on. And I just felt like I wanted to be there. So I wasn't, you know, completely behind um, and she just was like, could not have been more understanding and supportive and, you know, was like, take as much time as you need. You don't even need to come in. We'll handle everything. She was just so great. And thinking back to everything I've gone through, I'm just so lucky to work for such an amazing Boston team. Um, my boss shared that she had struggled with infertility for years. She had her first baby earlier that year after three failed rounds of IVF and you know she told me to take as much time as I needed and let her know if there's anything she could do or answer questions. Um, she was just so great so I just feel really fortunate um, to have that working relationship with her. Um, so the appointment was that afternoon. We check in at the same office as Friday, still waiting in a waiting room with a bunch of pregnant people, which is just so hard. Um, I just wish that there was a separate office or waiting area for people experiencing loss. It's just such a harsh reminder, you know, seeing pregnant women, knowing how much you wish that that was you. Um, and so they finally call us back and I'm sitting in the same, on the same table as Friday. I was given local anesthesia through a needle in my cervix, which is pretty painful. Um, then within a few minutes, the doctor basically just starts, I hate to be this graphic, um, but like scraping out your uterus and it immediately causes like cramping. So you're just feeling like cramping, scraping for like five painful minutes. Um, I thought the anesthesia meant that you would just be completely numb, which wasn't the case. I definitely felt some pain along the way. 
Um, but I have to say the only positive, the positive thing about this procedure is like from start to finish, it's like 10 minutes. Um, so it's not long at all. And it's such a blur and you're just like, what's happening? And then all of a sudden it's done. Um, you, I had to wait like 20 to 30 minutes, I think, before leaving the, just to make sure that like the bleeding was under control and like my blood pressure was normal and I wasn't dizzy or lightheaded. Um, if I had to do it all over again, I probably would have opted for the general anesthesia so I wouldn't have felt anything, but it was kind of nice to be able to like, I was in and out in an hour. Um, we drove home in silence. Um, I, there were tears on both ends. Um, I think the procedure just made everything so final, um, which was really hard. I just remember we were just feeling so disappointed and sad, but at the same time just wanted to get through it so we could start the process again. Um, so we canceled our nice anniversary dinner. We ordered sushi since I've been avoiding that for the last couple of weeks. And, you know, I think we watched whatever show we were watching at the time on TV. I took the next day off of work and just pretty much laid on the, on the couch the entire day watching Bravo with our dog, Remy. Um, she knew something was off. So she was definitely extra clingy, which is what I needed. Um, she just laid next to me for hours with her head on my lap and, you know, would nudge me every couple of hours just to let her out and go for a short walk and get some fresh air, which was definitely what I needed. Um, looking back now, I feel like I should have taken more time off after the first loss, but Again, I just wanted to get back into my normal routine as quickly as possible. I just wanted to forget the whole thing. And from my Google searching and message board scrolling, I read that multiple miscarriages in a row were super rare and that one miscarriage followed by normal pregnancies, you know, were way more common than I realized. So this was, you know, just a small setback, a little blip on the radar, something we'll quickly forget because, you know, we're going to get pregnant again soon. That's just kind of how I was thinking. Um, I did get a call back a few weeks after the DNC appointment or after the DNC procedure from our OBGYN just letting us know that they tested the tissue and it was inconclusive, which was common. And that once my period comes back, we're free to start trying again. So it was a little disappointing because I just felt like I just went through this painful, awful procedure hoping to get answers and, you know, they weren't able to find anything. But my period eventually came back in early to mid-November, I think, which was like five weeks after the DNC, which was a relief. This was also around the same time we had our first fertility specialist appointment, which, let me back up for a second. Since I work at the hospital system where I go for our OBGYN, I knew our insurance covered a good portion of fertility treatments, um, which is rare and I'm super lucky and fortunate to have that. But when we were trying over trying over the summer and I felt like it wasn't happening right away, which it was like three months, which I know is very quick. But I scheduled a fertility specialist appointment with a reproductive endocrinologist just in case, um, since I figured it couldn't hurt. Um, but I ended up canceling it when we got pregnant the first time. So right after the DNC, I rescheduled the appointment for the third week of November, just right before Thanksgiving. Um, I just wanted to see if the specialist had any recommendations for trying again after loss or if there were any testing that they would recommend. Um, I just wanted to hear from them that like everything looked normal and we could start trying again. Um, the OBGYN office just was like, call us if the bleeding doesn't stop after a few weeks or like if you're soaking a pad, you know, in an hour, but otherwise, like, you don't need to call us, there's no sort of follow-up, so it just wasn't, like, it, so it was just really comforting knowing that we had this, like, specialist appointment, since I feel like I wasn't getting any answers from my OBGYN, so we went to that first appointment, and I immediately felt at ease and hopeful that we made the right choice in coming to see them. Um, I was a little, I was a little nervous, but Pam was definitely more apprehensive, you know, wondering, like, if this is necessary, do we really need a specialist? Let me just try again and see what happens. I think he was worried that they were going to start, like, pushing IVF and a bunch of treatments on us, but that it was completely the opposite experience. Um, it was the first time that anyone from either doctor's office that we had been to said, 
I'm so sorry for your loss. Um, just that simple statement was something that I've been wanting to hear just from like anyone, <laughs> the receptionist, a nurse, just anybody just to say like, I'm sorry. Um, and the nurses were just so sympathetic. They just asked like, you know, how are you doing? And I, you know, when the doctor came in, he told us like right off the bat, like nothing we did caused the loss. Like, this is not your fault. Um, and then they asked us to confirm our names and date of birth. Like, it was just nice that they were talking to us like we were people and not just like patients. <clears throat> so I just turned 32 at the end of October and the doctor made a comment like, oh, you're still young, you know, relax, your egg reserve and quality don't drastically start decreasing until after 40, you know, we'll do some blood work to check your egg reserve. And they said they were going to do a vaginal ultrasound just to make sure my uterus looked clear and all the tissue was gone. Um, everything looked good, except there was one small clot, which they said should come out in my next period. And if, you know, it wasn't anything to worry about. They also checked my follicles to make sure that there were, you know, eggs on both sides and everything was where it was supposed to be. And at the end of the exam, the doctor, you know, reassured us that everything looked good and they're going to request blood work to check thyroid levels as well as my AMH, the anti-malarian hormone. And if that came back normal, we should track and try naturally for the next two months and, you know, come back and see them um, in January if we don't have any luck in the next two cycles. Um, the doctor ended the appointment by saying it's a good sign we could get pregnant naturally because that rules out a lot of issues. We're both young, which was nice to hear because I was getting worried that I was getting old, being 32, which I realize is ridiculous. Um, and he just you know, reassured us that we're gonna try a few different things, but not to worry because they're gonna help us get pregnant you know, some way or another. Um, we both left the appointment just feeling extremely hopeful. Um, the blood work came back a few days later and thyroid and AMH came back normal. I didn't have any thyroid issues. My egg reserve was within the normal range. So I felt relieved. Um, the next two months we tried naturally. I had two regular cycles, but we didn't get pregnant either time. So the fertility specialist requested a sperm analysis for PEM, and then I did the HSG procedure, which is where they inject the dye into your fallopian tubes to make sure they're open and that there aren't any blockages. And everything came back normal. PEM sperm analysis came back relatively normal. They test motility, I guess, which is how active the sperm moves, morphology, which is the shape of the sperm sperm count and concentration. And the only thing that they flagged was his morphology level was, I guess, higher than the normal range, um, which means that a higher number of the sperm were misshapen. But they said that there wasn't, it wasn't anything to be overly concerned about. And we should try one more cycle. And if we're not pregnant, um, we're go they recommended IUI to help, you know, boost egg quality as well as um, sperm quality. So we gave, the next cycle, our best shot, I think I ovulated the last week of January of this year in 2020. Um, I don't think we felt pressure like the previous times because we had this backup plan if it didn't work. And I know a lot of listeners who are trying to conceive can relate to the like lack of romance that sometimes comes with trying, especially if it's been months and years with challenges like losses along the way. Um, one of the things that I can add to the what not to say to someone going through infertility is just relax, have fun with it. Trying to have a baby should be fun. And it's like, you know, it is, except when its primary purpose, you know, is to reproduce and that's not happening. It's just so frustrating. So I just remember when people would say that, I just would kind of roll my eyes and just <laughs> bite my tongue. Um, but on Sunday, February 9th, we were planning to meet some friends that afternoon at a bar and I decided, you know, I should probably take a pregnancy test because I'm only a couple of days before my period. And I just don't want to be nervous about, you know, drinking while we're trying to conceive, which I'll explain later, does not affect anything. <laughs> um, our dog normally wakes us up between 6 and 7 a.m. every day, regardless if it's a weekend. So I got up with her that morning to let her out, and I decided to take a test. 
Um, and when I went back upstairs, I looked at the test and it was positive. Um, and Remy was just standing there. And so I guess technically she was the first person I told, but then I ran in the other room where Pem was asleep and woke him up to tell him <laughs> that I was pregnant. He was half asleep, but I could see he was excited and happy. So we ended up meeting up with our friends that day. And, you know, I had to do the whole dodging, the drinking thing, which was fine. Um, and then I called the fertility specialist first thing Monday morning and they told me to come in for a blood draw. Um, and then I should come in 48 hours later just to make sure the numbers are doubling. And I forget what the exact numbers were, but they were doubling, which was a great sign. So we made our, it ended up being our six and a half week appointment on Friday, <clears throat> February 28th, I think it was. Um, and I remember being nervous for the first appointment, but felt good that we were going to our fertility specialist office with a new care team that I already felt, you know, immediately comfortable with. I just kept thinking there's, you know, no way this can happen a second time. I kind of had this false sense of security. Um, <clears throat> the doctor did the vaginal ultrasound and all of a sudden he said, here's the gestational sac and see right there in the middle, that's the embryo. And that little blinking dot is the heartbeat. Um, and we both just like, couldn't believe it. We were just like, immediately filled with joy and excitement and the doctor, you know, printed out the sonogram picture and gave us our due date, which was the week of my birthday in October and, you know, sent us on our way. Um, they said that they'd be monitoring us every two weeks for vaginal ultrasounds until the 12 week mark. And that's when I would transition back to the regular OBGYN office. Um, we did our best to contain our excitement. I think we told our moms who were both really close with sometime that week. We did go away with our friends that weekend after this six and a half week appointment. And we told them since I wouldn't be drinking that weekend and they'd figure it out. And we also felt like since we saw the heartbeat and everything looked perfect, quote unquote, according to the doctors, so we were, you know, felt like we were on our way to a normal, healthy pregnancy. So the two weeks go by and we have our eight and a half week appointment on Friday, March 13th, which happened to be Penn's 31st birthday and right around when Richmond was shutting down for COVID. So before COVID officially hit, um, I, we had planned a small gathering at Top Golf the next day on Saturday with 25 of our closest friends um, and I was so sure that nothing was going to you know go wrong at the appointment so we should have the party before everything shuts down and we were even thinking about telling people at the party we were expecting because at that point we would have seen the heartbeat twice and everything I read the odds of miscarrying again would be so low so we drive to the appointment not worried at all. Um, I was texting with our friends in the car on the way about the party the next day. Couldn't wait to call our parents after. Um, we didn't have to wait that long. I remember we just checked in and then our favorite nurse called us back and the doctor came in a few minutes later. We know the drill at that point. Um, they put the vaginal ultrasound in. The screen was turned toward the doctor and not even 10 seconds later, the doctor said, I'm so sorry, but there's no longer a heartbeat. <clears throat> and I just remember like my body completely froze. The nurse put her hand on her shoulder, on my shoulder. I don't even remember what we said at that, like if I said anything, I just remember looking at Red Pem and he was just in shock. And I remember sitting up and immediately started sobbing and we just, were just sitting there like, how can this possibly be happening again? Um, I think one of the nurses came back to check on us and ask if we were okay. She said to take as much time as we needed, which was completely different experience than the last time. Um, and I just felt like despite having to deliver like awful news like that, the team at the fertility special specialist office were just like leaps and bounds more sympathetic and sensitive than the first time, um, you know, they just asked like, if we needed anything, you know, we're so sorry. And, you know, it just, in that moment, it was, it just felt good to know that they, you know, were with us and feeling our pain. Um, 
walking out of the appointment was such a blur. I don't even remember walking out. We somehow scheduled a follow-up appointment for the following week to confirm the loss and discuss our options. Um, we got in the car and I texted my mom that there wasn't a heartbeat. I think Pam texted his mom too. I honestly don't remember too much more from the car ride. Uh, when we got home, I immediately collapsed on the couch, just sobbing. And I remember Pam trying to comfort me and our almost 70 pound golden retriever, Remy, and wedging her body between both of us on the couch. And she just kept going back and forth, trying to lick all of the tears from her faces. And I know it was probably from the salt, but she was just trying everything she could to comfort us. Um, and I texted my boss again to let her know that, that what had happened. And again, she could have been nicer and told me to take as much time as I needed. Um, I think we spent the rest of the day on the couch, like watching Netflix or something. And when I was preparing for this podcast and I thought back to that weekend, I initially was like, I don't even remember what we did that weekend. We must've just hung out and took it easy. And then all of a sudden it hit me that the next day was that Saturday, March 14th, Pam's birthday party, where we had invited 25 friends to play at Top Golf. Um, and I had some really sweet friends that I had told about the appointment who offered, you know, to text everyone to cancel the party. But I just kept thinking about Pam and how I didn't want to completely ruin his birthday, even though it wasn't my fault. And I just knew, I just wanted to do something that would take our mind off of it for a few hours. And I'd already signed a contract and I just was like, what else are we possibly going to be doing that weekend? Everything's shutting down around us. You know, this could be the last time we do anything with our friends for a while. And now looking back at where things ended up with COVID, I'm so glad that we did it. I just wanted something to take our minds off of losing our second baby. And I figured, you know, what better way than drinking, being outside, hitting golf balls, and just spending time with our closest friends. I was kind of numb all day leading up to the party, but when we got there, I felt okay about everything, and I knew that I could keep it together, and I was able to compartmentalize, you know, and block out what happened the previous day, and try to focus on being a good hostess, and having fun with our friends. Um, after not drinking for the past like eight weeks, I was dying for a good glass of wine. Um, my tolerance was very low at that point. So needless to say, I had a very fun evening. <laughs> we went to bars after Top Golf. Um, I have no idea what time we got home. I just remember having a really good time and being able to forget being sad for a few hours. Um, I nursed a pretty good hangover the next day, but it was definitely worth it. Um, that Monday I went into my office, which is, I know a little soon, but things were literally shutting down all over Richmond. And I just want to make sure I was in the loop with my department with what they were planning to do. Um, my team had a meeting where we were told, you know, to pack up everything necessary to, to work from home for the next two to three weeks, which makes me laugh now thinking about how naive I was thinking how long I would be working from home. As of today, recording this in November, I'm still working from home, which marks 35 weeks of working from home, which is really crazy. Um, that Monday night, my mom drove down from Baltimore to check on me and see how I was doing. I was so glad she was there. At 32 years old, you sometimes just really need your mom. Um, and we were worried if she didn't come down that day that we might be stuck apart because of the pending travel bans. Um, so it was just what I needed in that moment. Um, she left that Wednesday, the 18th, to go back to Baltimore. This was the same day that we had our follow-up appointment with the fertility specialist where they confirmed that we did miscarry. They gave us all the options again, um, which the at-home pill or in-home DNC. And this time I opted for the misoprostol pill this time because I figured with COVID it would be safer to just be at home. The last DNC I had was pretty painful and I didn't get my period back for six weeks and you know the tissue came back inconclusive. So the doctor ordered the prescription and sent me down for lab work. Um, from that point on, I went for weekly blood draws for over four weeks to make sure my HCG levels were going down, which wasn't the most fun process. 
Um, the doctor advised that I take the two pills at nighttime before bed and that there would likely be severe cramping and it's going to feel like a bad period, which everyone knows that that's not the case and it's way worse. <laughs> they recommended having a heating pad and Tylenol just in case. So I took the pills around eight to give it time to kick in before bed. I didn't feel anything for two hours. So I had to go to bed around 10. I'm Googling like how long it takes for it to kick in. It says anywhere to zero, or it said like an hour to four hours. So I figured I just need to go to bed and see what happened. I woke up at midnight with some cramping and to go to the bathroom. Um, no bleeding yet, which kind of worried me, but the cramping was starting to set in. So I took two more Tylenol. And then from there, I woke up like every two hours with severe cramping. It was impossible to get comfortable. I started bleeding, I think around 4 a.m. Took more Tylenol because the pain was so bad. Um, luckily, I took the next day off of work. I was in pain all day. The bleeding picked up throughout the morning. My husband asked if he could go into the office that day or if I needed him. And I told him, you know, I'd be fine. And then it would be better for me to do this alone because there wasn't much, you know, he could do. I kept going back and forth in our bed and the bathroom. And I just felt so gross with the bleeding and changing my pads. And I just, I didn't want him to see me like that. So I just was like, I can, I can do this. So I came downstairs around like lunchtime and our dog knew I wasn't okay. And this was all over me and just trying to comfort me in any way she could. And then I forget the exact time, but I think it was like early afternoon, you know, I needed to go to the bathroom again and change my pad. And I've been passing a lot of blood and clots all morning, but this time I felt this like weird sensation all of a sudden, like my body was contracting and I felt this like popping feeling followed by this like plopping sound of something falling into the toilet. And it was in that moment that I knew that I had just passed the baby and this part always gets emotional when I think about it, but I just remember looking into the toilet and seeing the sack with the tissue around it, surrounded by just a ton of blood. I immediately burst into tears because I, you know, realized what had just happened. And I'm just like so scared, sad, confused. I didn't know what to do. They don't tell you at the doctor's office or prepare you for this may happen. Um, and I just was too scared to try to touch it. Like I didn't know what to do. So I just sat on the floor, just like sobbing in pain. Um, the loneliest feeling in the world, probably the most traumatic thing I've ever experienced. I immediately realized that it was a mistake to do this pill process at home. I wish a hundred times over that I did the in-office DNC, you know, even though it was painful for 10 minutes, it would, it was worth it over this, like several hour ordeal that I did at home. Um, I remember sitting on the floor of the bathroom, just like trying to figure out what to do. I could hear Remy whining from the other room because she knew something had just happened. And I just felt like I had no other choice than to like flush the toilet, which is just heartbreaking. Cause it just, it felt like I was just like throwing my baby away. Like it was a piece of trash. Um, and it was just awful, but it's just like, what do you, what else do you do at that point? Um, and I remember, you know, going back to the couch, trying to process like everything that had just happened. And luckily, I don't know why with scheduling, I had made an appointment with my therapist later that afternoon. I like vaguely remember texting her from the Friday appointment, letting her know what would ha like what had happened and to see if she had any openings that following week um and the appointment couldn't have come at a better time i like quickly cleaned myself up the best i could showered drove to the appointment sobbing <laughs> when i got there i just talked about you know how in shock i was that this was happening a second time and you know what had just happened a few hours prior and something that my therapist said that really stuck with me was she pointed out that I've had a loss before and it was awful and terrible, but I got through it and I'm going to get through it again. And it kind of just like snapped me out of it, made me realize like, you're right, like this sucks and it's going to suck for probably a long time. Sorry, mom, if you're listening, she hates when I use that word, <laughs> but 
it really just sums it up perfectly. It just sucks. <laughs> um, I was probably more sad this time, you know, because of how much more like attached and emotionally invested we were, you know, from seeing the heartbeat and seeing the embryo and getting the sonogram picture, just like everything seemed so much more promising this time. And I just felt like the odds of this happening again were so small and just was really naive about my therapist reminded me that no matter how hard this is going to be, it's not going to break me and I'm going to come out, you know, on the other end of this. And, you know, we worked out a plan that I was going to continue going to my fertility doctor once a week, which made me feel like I was doing something to help kind of speed up the recovery. I wasn't sitting at home all day being sad, gave me something, you know, to put on my calendar to focus on each week. I would see my therapist every other week and we talked about things, you know, needing things to focus on that quote unquote, like fill me up, which in normal non-COVID times, we, you know, we talk about, I go, I normally say orange theory, which is what I do for exercise, going out to dinner and stuff with my friends, traveling, going on vacation. And here I am a week into COVID and I can't do any of those things, which was just so frustrating. <laughs> So we tried to come up with a list of, you know, other things I could do. And so I downloaded a exercise app. Um, I walked Remy now that I was working from home. I would take her for two to three walks a day for 30 plus minutes at a time. And those were the times during the day where I'd listen to Life After Miscarriage podcast. And, you know, I just felt like those were those times where I could just get away, clear my head and feel like I had a supportive community behind me. Um, and one of the positive things that I guess that has come out of this whole thing is getting close with our neighbors. So when we couldn't, you know, socialize and go out with friends, um, you know, kind of turn to the people who were right next door and we, we knew them before COVID because our houses are close together and we shared a short fence, um, but didn't really know them that well. And that Friday, the week after we found out about the miscarriage, they invited us and the couple across the street who have two little girls who are three and eight over for pizza. Um, we just sat outside on her porch, you know, from being cautious with the COVID, but we had none, all of us had not hung out together at the same time before. And our husbands bonded over golf and the girls and I, you know, bonded over reality TV and wine. And I ended up telling them about you know, the miscarriages and how we just had a loss. And my neighbor who hosted us, um, they don't have kids. And she shared that she and her husband had just found out that they couldn't actually have children. And they did all the testing and took supplements and injections. And after further testing, determined that they wouldn't be able to have children on their own without, even with IVF, they would likely have to have donors. And just hearing her story and how like of a positive outlook on life she had just like really put things in perspective for me. And I hated experiencing the two losses and feeling like I wasted a year with nothing to show for it. But it just made me realize that there's still hope that I can get pregnant and have a baby and I just have to keep trying. And that's kind of like what propelled me forward in this journey. And a side note from that first Friday dinner with our neighbors, we had dinner together every Friday night for 13 Fridays in a row. <laughs> um, and I seriously don't know what we would have done without them in those Friday dinners because it gave us something to look forward to each week. Um, in addition to seeing my therapist and trying to get back and exercising and you know our weekly dinners with our neighbors, I started to be more open with family and friends this go around. I think the first loss, I was just trying to forget about it and get through it and make it go away so I could start trying again. Um, but this time I just felt, you know, more numb and I didn't really let myself grieve or feel what was actually happening. And I realized how much better I felt the more I talked about it. So that's something that I really tried to do after the second loss. Um, and I was talking to a close friend in Richmond who was checking in on me to so say I was doing, and I remember her saying, like, I didn't want to tell you this while you were pregnant the second time because I didn't want to scare you, but remember my college friend who I told you was going through, um, you know, some fertility stuff? Well, she actually just had her, had a second loss a couple months ago, and she asked if I ever wanted to be 
connected with them. And I just remember being like, this is going to be so weird, so awkward talking to a complete stranger about a super personal experience, but I have nothing to lose. And I can't even begin to tell you how much Becca got me through one of the hardest things I've ever gone through. Becca, if you're listening, I can't thank you enough for all of your advice, guidance, and support during this. Um, I'm like getting teary eyed thinking about it, but um, we texted almost every day, um, and like at least once a week ever since. And she actually was the person that introduced me to the Lamb Fam. Um, and she also told me about the book Not Broken by Laura Shaheen, um, a board certified reproductive endocrinologist specializing in pregnancy loss. Um, I highly recommend anyone who hasn't read it. I think I've heard it mentioned a few times on this podcast. And I also felt it super helpful um, just explaining the acronyms and the tests and all the lingo. There's a glossary in the back, which is super helpful when I refer to it often. Um, and that brings me, I guess, to the testing that we did. So after a week or so after the loss, Pem and I went back for additional blood work for genetic testing along with stereotype testing. We got screened for like 274 um, genetic conditions that could lead to miscarriage. We also did the um, karyotype testing that would show it either of us had translocation in our chromosomes, which could lead to chromosomal abnormalities. Um, so after a few weeks, we got the results for both of those and everything came back negative. And anyone listening to this, that's been through this, you know, can relate to the mixed feelings. Like it's great to hear that you, that there's something wrong with you, but it's also just like frustrating that you're not getting clear answers as to why this keeps happening. Um, so at this point, I think we're at the end of April, early May, my period came back the last week of April. Um, my HCG levels were below five. So we were clear to start trying naturally again. We met with our fertility doctor again. Um, to discuss options, and they advised that if we wanted to seek treatment, we should consider IVF because IUI would likely not be much help um, since we've been able to get pregnant on our own, and they believe that both of the losses were chromosomal abnormalities. So IVF would um, allow us to test the embryos before implanting to make sure that they were the right chromosomal um, makeup and everything like that. Um, we never thought IVF was something that we would consider because, you know, it just wasn't something on our radar. But after two losses, we were willing to try anything to increase our chances. Um, because of COVID, there was this backlog of people trying to start IVF. So we were told that we would be added to the wait list. So our special, our fertility specialist advised us to try on our own for the end of April, end of May cycles. And if that doesn't work, will likely be off the wait list in the summer to start IVF. So we both, um, you know, so we decided to try naturally both of those cycles. Didn't have luck. Um, we were disappointed, but realized that, you know, we still weren't off the wait list yet. So we had one more cycle to try naturally, which was, um, you know, mid-June. Um, so the ovulation window of the last cycle was, the weekend of June 11th to 13th weekend, which we had actually decided to go to the beach with three other couples. It was our first and only like real vacation of the summer because of COVID, but we decided, you know, we should go. The house had four bedrooms. So I knew we would have our own room, but we were both, you know, thinking this is going to be a bit awkward being in such close quarters with six people. <laughs> and one of the other couples also brought their two-year-old daughter, which added another dynamic to the trip but we both agree this is our last shot, so we're gonna give it our best effort. The trip was relaxing and fun. Um, it's good to be around friends. Um, it wasn't until the second day of the trip that the couple with the two-year-old announced that they were pregnant with their second. And I had literally just told the girls not even an hour prior to that announcement that Pam and I had suffered our second loss in March and you know are struggling with fertility. So it was just kind of a shock when they, <laughs> this couple announced it, but I didn't think it was going to hit me as hard as it did, but I was crushed. You know, here I am suffering two losses and nothing to show for it. And this couple has this beautiful two-year-old daughter and another on the way. And I just felt like in that moment that it just like wasn't fair. 
And I couldn't have been more happy and excited for them. They're great friends of ours, great parents already. And I knew that they would be amazing with the second baby. But at the same time, it's just, you know, you just feel so sad for you. Um, my other two girlfriends on the trip immediately saw my disappointment and, you know, were quick to open another bottle of rosé and get the wine flowing, which is what I needed in that moment. I tried not to let the news ruin the rest of the trip because we were having such a good time. Um, so I just tried to block it out the rest of the trip. Him and I were, you know, able to be discreet and have sex a few times within the ovulation window. It was definitely comical at times, you know, trying to sneak away when we thought people were distracted or preoccupied. But I just felt like, you know, we didn't feel as much pressure. It was fun. We were away from our usual distractions. And, um, you know, we had this backup plan of IVF if things didn't work out. So after the trip, we came home and resumed our normal lives. I, you know, I knew we had sex during the ovulation window, so there is a chance that we would get pre that we could be pregnant. But I wasn't overthinking it. You know, didn't feel super hopeful. So about two weeks after we got back, I woke up in the morning, June 24th. You know, same thing. First thing in the morning, I took a test and. You know, I didn't see the line start to develop. So I was like, oh, whatever. Um, you know, this just wasn't the month. And then all of a sudden, I saw that second line forming a plus sign. And I was in complete shock. Um, I ran and told Pam he was a little more hesitant this time, um, just given everything we've been through. And I told him, you know, I'd let the doctor know. And we go from there. So I called the fertility office. They told me to come in for blood draws, repeat them in two days. Um, the numbers doubled. Um, and then one thing the fertility doctor did differently this time around was start me on a progesterone suppository. Um, so there wasn't anything in my past loss testing to indicate that low progesterone levels cause anything, but I was willing to try anything. The doctor explained it wouldn't prevent a miscarriage if there was a chromosomal abnormality, but it could support the embryo during development and or the embryo during implantation and early development. So I was just so desperate to try anything and feel like I was doing something different than the last time. Um, and then after four blood draws with HCG levels doubling each time, um, we finally got to our first appointment at six weeks. Um, my, leg was my legs were shaking the whole car ride. I was trying to take deep breaths, but I was just so nervous. So we get to the appointment and, you know, they took us back with the same sweet nurses and doctors. Um, you know, they were super calm and we're just like, you know, let's see what we have here. So they put the probe in, the screen was turned away, which was fine after <clears throat> I didn't want to see anything until they were like sure that there was something there. And a few seconds later, the doctor turned the screen toward us and she had this big smile on her face and she said, there's the heartbeat. And it was strong and higher than the previous times. It matched my dates on my last ovulate, you know, last period and ovulation window. Um, they said everything looked great. Um, you know, and I remember we felt so excited, but then all of a sudden it like turns to panic. And I, I was honest with her. I just told her, I was like, I'm so anxious this time around. Is there anything you can do to help me manage this? And the doctor and the nurse just said to keep taking the progesterone and the prenatals and we can monitor. They were like, we'll monitor you as much as you like. If you want to come in every few days because you're worried, just call us. Like we're here to support you and provide you with what you need to have a successful pregnancy. And just hearing that was such a relief. So we ended up going back at seven weeks and there was still a heartbeat. Went back at eight weeks, um, heard the heartbeat. And um, I'm excited to say that eight weeks has now turned into 25 and a half weeks. Um, sorry, I'm emotional to sharing this, but we are um, expecting our rainbow baby on March 4th. Um, it's a baby girl. And sorry, just saying that out loud, you know, just makes it real. And I'm just beyond excited <laughs> to be able to say that. Um, we went to my fertility specialist up until 12 weeks, which is bittersweet. Um, we had to say goodbye to, you know, our doctors and nurses. Um, they even gave us a certificate for graduating, even though we didn't 
fortunately we didn't need any treatment, but just we were able to graduate from the fertility program. Um, and then we went back to see our, the previous OBGYN office, but I changed doctors just to feel like I was giving myself a fresh start. Um, going back to that first appointment was a little, the first 12 week appointment at that office was triggering because I hadn't been there since the first loss. And I remember my blood pressure was super high, which was not typical. And I explained and the nurse was like totally understood and was like, I'm just going to let the doctor know. And the doctor, you know, made a note in my file that, you know, I had suffered recurrent pregnancy loss and that the blood pressure was likely situational and not like a chronic problem. Um, we did the NIP test at 12 weeks to see if there were any chromosomal abnormalities and everything came back normal. We learned that we were having a girl. Um, we had our 20-week anatomy scan in October and, you know, saw all four chambers of the heart, her spine, and all her vital organs. Um, they did a 3D image of her face, which was so crazy to see what she looks like at only 20 weeks. She already looks like both of us. Um, so far, everything's been smooth sailing and um, finally in that sweet spot of not feeling incredibly sick and tired, but I'm not super pregnant where I can't move yet. So I'm just trying to take advantage of this time to get things you know, organized the nursery and exercising and taking care of my health. Um, but I just feel so lucky that after everything we've gone through, we finally made it on the other side. And, you know, I just, I know that that was a lot <laughs> and we're almost at the hour mark, but hopefully that was helpful. Um, but yeah, that's pretty much my story in a nutshell. And Shelly, I know you always ask people at the end, like, what's one piece of advice that, you know, you give to people and, I try to summarize, I think I'm like three or four main points, which I'll just quickly highlight, but because I know we're at time, but first, you know, I'd say seek counseling. It's so helpful to have a third party ear to listen to you. PEM is an amazing partner and support system, but it's just nice to kind of have your own space, just to vent about everything that you're feeling. Um, second is something I learned through therapy, but find your village. Like who are the people that you can really count on to support you when you need it the most? And what I found throughout this process is that your normal quote unquote village, like for example, certain friends I normally go to for everything, didn't quite know what I was going through. So it was people like Becca, who I was introduced after my second loss that I texted with like every day, every week. Um, my neighbors who you know, gotten me through COVID and a pregnancy loss. And I just feel like certain people come into your life for a reason. Um, and I'm just so grateful that they did. Um, tell people what you need, whether it's your spouse, your friends, your family, don't assume that they know what you're feeling or experiencing. Like if they say something that is offensive or insensitive, you know, tell them. Like I used to bottle it up and be afraid and I love my mom dearly, we're extremely close, but there were times when she'd say stuff like, just relax, don't think about it so much, like you're overthinking it. And it's like, I had to finally sit down and just say like, mom, it is impossible. Like when you go through two losses, you think about it from the time you wake up until the time you go to bed. It's constantly on your mind. Um, but telling somebody to relax like does not help. <laughs> so I mentioned an article that I had read in a medical journal about like pregnancy loss being linked to PTSD, which I definitely think is true. And she finally got it and apologized and you know, we've gotten through it and moved on. But don't be afraid to tell the people that you love when they say the wrong thing because it can save you a lot of time and frustration. And then lastly, don't be afraid to talk about it. Like I feel like historically this has been such a taboo topic of conversation, but I found like the more I tell my story, the better I feel because it's not bottled up inside me, but I've also found so many more people in my close circle and network have experienced loss or fertility struggles, which I would have never known. So I just urge people not to be ashamed or scared because there's way more people out there than you think going through this. Um, so that is my story and all of my advice that took me over a year to kind of figure out and understand. So hopefully that saves some of your listeners some time and 
frustration. And thank you again, Shelly, so much for having me. And I could not have gotten through this without you and all of the other people who have shared their stories prior. So thank you again. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you. Um, if somebody wants to reach out to you, where could they do so? Sure. So I'm available by email. My email is caroline, C-A-R-O-L-I-N-E dot E dot Hutchinson, H-U-T-C-H-I-N-S-O-N at gmail.com. Or my Instagram is caroline E. Hutchinson, like all one word, but there's two E's at the end of Caroline for my middle initial. And I'm private, but if you send me a message or request me, I'm always, I'll always respond and accept you. I've met um, a ton of people on Instagram through the Lamb fam. So um, I'm happy to connect with people that way as well. Perfect. Well, thank you so much, Caroline, for doing this. We appreciate you. Congratulations. And thank you. Yeah, I'll be keeping up with your journey and you'll have to keep us all posted. Yes, definitely. Well, thank you so much again. Yes, thank you. And I'll talk to you soon. Sounds good. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you share it with a friend who could find it useful or share it on your Instagram stories. Tag myself, tag my guest so that we can personally thank you. This is a lamb fam, you guys. We're not in this alone. We're creating this ripple effect together.